Well, my name is Nate, going to be the pastor here at New City. I can tell you this, Party of the Barn is my favorite thing we do at New City, and so uh, make sure you do mark your calendar for that date. Also, you know, we've had some delays in construction, but I can tell you that starting tomorrow, the walls start going up, which is really, really good news, and so you can praise God for that, and so I'll be posting videos and links to that this week, and you can check those out. I want to begin with the reading of the Word today, and uh, we're going to start in Ephesians 4, 17, so if you have a Bible or an app that you want to open up to, you can do that. Uh, you can find that. We're going to study through chapter 5, verse 2, but I'm only going to do a short reading out of Ephesians 4, and then we're going to pray over the Word. Now, this I say and testify in the Lord, that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God, because the ignorance that is in them due to the hardness of heart. They become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy, to practice every kind of impurity. But that is not the way you learned Christ. Assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus. To put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires. And to be renewed in the spirit of your minds. And to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. This is God's word. Let's pray. Father, I pray that you would let your word uh, tend to our hearts today. Uh, examine our hearts through your word today. Help us uh, to make decisions today that glorify you and serve other people. Uh, we pray that you'd help us to walk in obedience to your word. Whatever it would have to say to us today, that we'd walk in obedience to it. It'd be life transformative Holy Spirit, give us the power to, 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 to use your word in ways that we could not otherwise in our life to bring about transformation. Uh, we are in submission to whatever you want to do today with your word, Father. It is in your name, Lord Jesus, we pray. Amen. All right. So before I start into the teaching, I'm going to read, well, let me just read this and I'll let you know kind of what the Holy Spirit's been saying to me this morning. Uh, I've been talking to friends about the series and I had a friend reach out who's been attending from afar, they, they've moved away, but they've been attending online from afar. And uh, they said, hey, I've really enjoyed the series in Ephesians. It's painting a really beautiful picture of the church. I'm just having a hard time right now believing it's possible. And, and, I, and I've struggled, and even in the teaching of it, I have. Uh, I, in fact, you'll see it in the first slide. Uh, the, the church can be, is how I phrased it. Um, but I want you to know the church can be and is. Uh, it is. It can be and it is a place of kindness, compassion, and forgiveness in a world that can often feel mean, harsh, and vengeful. The church can be, I mean, there's some aspiration here, like we have some work to do together uh, by listening to the Holy Spirit, obeying the Holy Spirit, walking in step with the Spirit, like we have some work, to, so, so we haven't arrived at anything yet, but, but it is. And here's what, I'm just going to, uh, I'm just going to be honest with you about what the Lord has been, you know, saying to me this morning. You know, we started Shine School Partnership. It was like the brokenness in our city was something that was just so, like, we felt it so deep. We feel it so deep. And we were like, how far upstream can we go to be involved, to see change happen? And then when the, the Washington thing happened, you know, at the middle school, and, and you see you know, the news about Benny and, and like, and hearing that's connected to Mission Ave, my, my first impulse of thinking was, man, are we even making any difference in our city at all? Are we moving the needle at all? Lord Jesus, are we doing what you've asked us to do? And here's what the Holy Spirit said to me this morning, and I don't I mean, I, I'm, I'm going to 
I, I think it's the Holy Spirit. It seems to jive with the Word of God. But this is what I believe the Lord was leading me in in terms of thinking this morning as we were praying together and lamenting together. I feel like the Lord was saying, hey, I didn't ask you to fix the brokenness in our city. That's my job. <laughs> you know, he's, he's making all things new. That's what he's doing. But I asked you to be present in the brokenness. And in this brokenness, I can tell you a new city's present in it. And our people and Jesus-fearing, Jesus Jesus-loving people are present in it. And when the brokenness happened in the city, the church is there. And I want you to know the church is a place of kindness and compassion. It's a place of tenderness. And when you read in, in Ephesians 4, 32, just a little beyond our reading today, Paul says, be kind to one another. Tender-hearted forgiving one another as God has forgiven you. Like, like this is, God has forgiven you in Jesus and what he's done and his love for you. And I want you to th think about, like, man, have you received that kind of generosity from God? Like, do you know what it's like to be loved by him, to have him cover your sins, to have him come from heaven to earth, to live the life you could not live, to die the death you should have died, to be buried, to rise again, to conquer your sin and death, to give you the Holy Spirit? Like, if you have that, what that produces in you is kindness, tenderness, like, you, you see what's going on in the world, and you feel compassion. Like, that's what happened. The Holy Spirit does that. And I have seen that in my own life, and people I know who I've journeyed with, who have been hardened by life and, and hurt by life, suddenly with the presence of the Holy Spirit, feeling tender-hearted, compassionate, called to the pain in the world. I think our New City family is a good news community for a bad news world. I think we are. I think that's what God's calling us to be. And if you're new to New City and like you're like, man, this guy gets really at it all of a sudden. You know, I didn't have a joke to start with. I'm sorry, but we're just going to jump right in. Like, th like this is who we are. This is what we're about. And we're looking at where's the bad news narrative and how can we be your good news presence in that bad news place? And that's just been the always the way we've been. Speaking of bad news. <laughs> so this is like, I'm thinking about it now. I'm like, man, I probably, probably should have written this differently. All right, this is a book you should get. All right, this, uh, if, you're, if you have a teenager, know a teenager, have been a teenager, uh, you should get this book. Uh, it's called iGen. Uh, this book has research and information in it that you need to be aware of. Uh, it has uh, been, to me, uh, eye-opening, mind-blowing, and it spoke directly to the teaching today. One of the big ideas of the book, I'll summarize for you, is our kids have never been more safe physically and more at risk emotionally than they are right now. One of the things that's interesting, if you look at the data about uh, sort of American data, like the swath of America, uh, you know, in the 90s when I was a kid in high school, violent crime was at a peak. Uh, it is, it, violent crime has continued to decline over that course of time. But what has happened since uh, the 90s, and actually since 2012, this kind of tends to be kind of a, an inflection point, uh, that the emotional well-being of children has plummeted. And in, in the data, when you look at homicide rates compared to suicide rates of 15 to 19-year-olds, it's hard to see in the graphs I know on the screen, but uh, the, the line that goes down, that light-colored line, that's homicide. Uh, suicide, the line that goes up, that's uh, that's, that means that you are more likely to die of suicide than homicide if you're a 15 to 19-year-old, according to the data uh, studied from 1980 to 2015. And right around 2012, there was like this inflection point where de depression began to spike, and it hasn't receded. 
And what's interesting, and this, this, this graph I thought was, was fascinating, uh, this is all taken from iGen, the book, and so I'm giving credit that way, but you'll see there's a line that sort of plummets, that's unemployment. And so that line, that kind of light-colored line that plummets, is unemployment, so as unemployment goes down, that dotted line is, is, is iPhone ownership, that goes up, and then what you'll see also is going up at a very high rate are symptoms of depression. And so as children become more sort of, you know, as, as iPhone becomes more accessible to children, uh, what imme- immediately begins to rise is feelings of depression, uh, feelings of, you know, sort of anxiety, uh, beginning to doubt sort of self-worth. And an increase in online use and a decrease in in-person community has been like jet fuel to teenage depression. It's just like been, it's just been fueling it. And this graph I found to be uh, utterly amazing. Looking at 8th, 10th, and 12th graders who attend parties. You can see right around 2012, uh, the, the uh, party attendance has gone down. Uh, I was on high school in the 90s. That's when the peak was happening. So, you know, if you were, you know, on high school in the 90s and you know how to party, you probably should share that with somebody, all right? Uh, you, we, we, need, we need you 90s folks, you know, you Gen Xers who have been like, you know, had forg- you, know you, you feel like the forgotten generation. It's time to shine, my friend. All right, throw some parties invite some teenagers they need to be in person all right that's what you need to do this is your moment like no one throws 90s parties always throw 80s parties or 70s parties but i think gen x we need to stand up and like you know be accounted for you know somebody should you know all right but here's interesting some hopeful things a hopeful turn i'm going to show you a graph in a second but she says this in the book she says the results could not be clearer teens who spend more time on screen activities the black bars, I'll show you that graph in a second, are more likely to be unhappy. And those who spend more time on non-screen activities, the gray bars, which I'll show you in a second, are more likely to be happy. There's no single exception. All screen activities are linked to less happiness, and all non-screen activities are linked to more happiness. And so I want you to see this graph. So if you look at this, I mean, you're looking at eighth graders in the study, that that they're involved in sports or religious services like youth group, or they're reading books like in in print form. Uh, They're going to in-person social uh, interactions. I like this one, homework, all right? So you can just say, like, hey, do your homework. It'll make you feel more happy. Like, it it decreases your unhappiness if you do your homework. Do your homework. It makes it's science, all right? Uh, it has to be true. All right, but you can see all the other things that sort of decrease happiness, like uh, all the things that are screen-based, that, e- that, that basically um, remove a child from in-person activity. And so as I've been looking at and reading this sort of study and watching what's happening, like it's, it, the, the graphs are, uh, you know, when you read this book, you'll be like, holy smokes, like we're hurting our children. Uh, you, can't, you can't walk away and go, we're, we're, like, like the way we're living needs to be confronted. And... Uh, by the way, like adults are, 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 are some of the worst offenders. And so I'm going to say it this way. The church, right, can be and is a place of in-person kindness, compassion, and forgiveness in an online world that can often be mean, harsh, and vengeful. And you know, like, that's how the world is out there online. Like, this, it's a world of People fighting two-dimensional beings. Now, I want you know, people, there's like a lot of people watching online, and so they're feeling like, whoa, is he coming after me? I'm like, I'm not coming after you. All right. All right. I, if online activity moves you toward in-person community, that's awesome, and that can happen. But if online activity moves <laughs> us away from in-person community, that's awful. And you, you can just kind of do some self-evaluation here. Like when, you, when you're like in your online activity and you see a post about somebody that you love and you care for and that post reminds you, like, hey, I should reach out to them. That's really good. 
But if you're, if you're leaving that time on your phone, you're looking at social media, like everybody's awful. They're all monsters, right? That's bad. And how often, particularly adult people, leave their phone engagement just, just getting all this confirmation, sort of bias, how awful everyone else is in the world. And then you put it down, and you go, man, the world's crazy. Those people are nuts, and I don't want to do anything. I don't want to have anything to do with all of them. And what happens is you begin to kind of, be, that, that device begins to remove you from in-person connectivity, which we know, by the way, God made you for. It is not good for man to be alone. Many people attend online Sundays, but are in person serving relationships and community groups, and I think that's really good. And many people do that. And if you're watching online today, I want to encourage you to let online lead you to someplace in person. So, like, now here's the problem, right? We've got people who are depressed. They're engaged in uh, uh, this online activity. They're engaged less and less in in-person activity. And so we got to figure out, like, how do we solve this problem? My wife and I have been talking about this with our kids because I've been like, you guys don't go to parties as much as we used to go to parties. Like, we used to have people over all the time. Like, why don't you? And they're like, the kids don't do that these days. Maybe we should be different than kids these days. Like, maybe we should do it different. I don't like the results we're getting. All this depression is no bueno. But before we can treat the issue properly, we've got to accurately diagnose the problem. That's what we have to spend some time doing. And good news is the text does it for us. So you look at the text here in verse 17 and then verse 20, uh, you'll see what, um, what Paul's addressing is a pattern of living. He says, Now I say and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. So you must no longer walk means I don't want you to live in the pattern that I'm going to display. I'm going to call the Gentile pattern, the pattern of the world, not the pattern of the Jesus-following community. It's, he says, That is not the way you learned in Christ. And so there is a pattern that you learned in Jesus that is contrary to the pattern in the world. And so I want you not to be living in this pattern of the world, and I want you to be living in the pattern that Jesus has you to be living in. And so there is an unhealthy pattern, or there are unhealthy patterns or ways of living that need to be identified in order to be broken. And so we have to call them out. And the good news is our text does just exactly that. So I want you to pay attention to the words, and I want you to be thinking about the flow of thought here in the text. Because what he's doing is he's unveiling a pattern, a a pattern that moves from the mind to the will or volition. And I want you to see this pattern. Now this I say and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. So it starts with the mind. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God, because the ignorance that is in them due to the hardness of heart. They've become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality. You see how it's gone from, from mind to heart to volition, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. But that is not the way you learned in Christ. And so if you look at the pattern, here's the pattern. It's careless thinking. Careless thinking that leads to a darkened mind, a darkened understanding, ignorance, a hardness of heart, a callousness of the heart. So the heart gets hard, but then it gets callous. And then what you have is an uncontrolled, self-centered desire. Uh, Giving them up the sensuality just means they've given up on restraint. Totally just given up on restraint. So let's look at how that applies to teens and social media, for example. Uh, Don't worry, adults, I'm coming for you, okay? All right, Here's, here's the pattern, all right? Careless thinking. I am what others think of me. Careless thinking. Careless thinking. I am what others think of me. Not okay. Not true. 
we are all what others think of us as the darkened mind. You know, not, not only I am what others think of me, but we are all what others think of each other. Like, that's not okay. Hardened heart, how you, you and I feel is secondary to what others think of us. Ooh, ooh. Callous heart, I can't think about how you feel. I can only think about what others think of me. The uncontrolled self-centered desire is what matters most is what people think of me. And what you can see, and there's lots of ways to slice this, and you can come up with your own sort of series of phrases. These are just ones I made up. But as I've seen in life and played out in humanity, that you, if you begin with a bad idea that I am what others think of me, and you begin to engage in social media with this bad idea that I am what others think of me, you can see how, I- how I- eventually what you end up with is a profound sense of self-centeredness, and all that you can think about is what others think of you, and you've lost any kind of recognition of the feelings or the thoughts and pains of other people. Because your feelings and thoughts and pains, your anxiety is at all-time high. Let's talk about adults in social media. I'm coming for you, Nana. All right? I'm coming for you. Here we go. Nana doing all that sharing on Facebook. All right, here, here, here we are. Careless thinking. I don't know who to trust. You've probably heard this in conversations in recent times. It's a careless thought. Dark in mind. Nobody is telling the truth. Hardened heart. I don't trust anyone. Callous heart. Everyone is self-serving. The uncontrolled self-centered desire. All I need to care about is me. And what you've seen, even in light of the events that we've been in this last year, you see a lot of people going, I I don't trust anybody. I'm just going to do what I want to do. And I'm going to relieve myself from any kind of social obligation to the needs of others, to protecting other people, to caring for other people's needs, to looking at what is helpful to other people. And so what you see is a sort of a callousness and a hardness to humanity. This also plays out in what I call the cycle of despair. It's kind of a, a, a cycle that sort of just sort of goes around and around. And here's the careless thinking. Without hope, I can only cope. And a lot of people kind of get to that place in their life because I don't have hope anymore, so I'm just going to cope. And then they go, the darkened mind is, hey, this is not a good coping strategy. I know, but I just need a minute. And I've had that conversation with a number of people over the years. I just need a minute. And then the hardened heart, my, my, my coping this way is not all that bad. There's a little bit of justification, a little callousness of the heart. Stop telling me how to cope. Uncontrolled, self-centered desire, this coping mechanism is all that I have, so don't take it away. And I, I've been in the hospital when somebody who is hopeless and took on a coping strategy of drug use and abuse, and I've been in the hospital, sat next to the bed, where people have said to me with, with all sincerity, I will not stop doing this, this is all I have, even though it's killing them. This is a cycle of despair. This is the pattern of thinking. It's, it's uh, careless thinking that leads to a darkened mind, that leads to a hardened heart, that leads to a callous heart, and then ultimately to a, a profound sense of self-centeredness. And you could say, uh, if you were the enemy, you would say, hey, you know what I want to do? Is I, I don't want, to, I, don't, I, I can't, I'm not going to start with self-centeredness. I'm not going to start there. I'm just going to start with reckless thinking. And, you know, the enemy is an accuser, and he's a father of lies. And, and so he just starts with, like, hey, just, I'm going to introduce some reckless thinking that, that leads on a path. And I'm going to get you to kind of get to on this path where I start to break apart community, even community within the church. So to treat the problem, we need to accept that in our minds, who we really are, and experience, now listen to this, and experience that. Experience our true identity, our true self within a spirit-filled, 
face-to-face community. Like those things are necessary. Spirit-filled, face-to-face community. So when he goes on to say, that's not, what you, that's not the way you learned in Christ. Like this is not the pattern you learned in Christ. He says, assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus. Do you see what he's doing? He's going, hey, we've got to start. The pattern begins with foolish thinking. So we're going to start here with the mind. We're going to say, you've got to get the right thought. That's where it begins, the right thinking, the thinking about Jesus. That's the right thought. Put off the old self, which belongs to your former manner of life, way of living, pattern of living, and is corrupted through deceitful desires, and be renewed in the spirit of your minds. Now, many translators think that what he's saying is is he's saying to the church community, and be renewed, all of you, in the spirit, in your minds. Now, it could easily be translated that way. I think that's more the intention, is that the Holy Spirit is doing the renewal in the minds as people are living out a Christian community. And put on the new self, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. And so the putting off and putting on has everything to do with our thinking. But our thinking in the context of Christian community, founded on the teaching of the apostles and prophets, Empowered by the Holy Spirit. Like that's where, like the true truth. And so it's the true truth being applied in Christian community with the power of the Holy Spirit in face-to-face interaction that we do the activity of taking off and putting on. That's what you need. And so I just will say this to you, okay? Your, your mind is not infallible. Like it's just not. It needs to be checked with the truth. And I think our negative feelings about ourselves and others are often the result of listening to ourselves rather than preaching to ourselves. Like we spend too much time listening to stupid ideas in our head that are just stupid ideas in our head that haven't been tested and approved of by the Word of God, the things that are really true. And we have to be skilled at taking the things that are true and going, what does this true thing say about me? What is this? And, and the only way you can do that, by the way, I'm like, I, I didn't put this in my notes, but this is a really good point. Like the hardest person in the world to see is you. You can't see you. And so you need other people in the context of the community go, I see you. And here's the gospel truth that I I see you need to hear in this moment in face-to-face interaction. That's how you put off. That's how you put on. Assuming that you've heard, we're taught, the truth is in Jesus. The truth is, my friend, the truth is that Jesus covers your failures in his faithfulness. Uh, let me just say, the truth is, a uh, teenager obsessed with whether or not you're approved of in some social media platform, the truth is, Jesus covers your failures with his faithfulness. The truth is, mom or dad who feels like you haven't been doing it right as a parent and you feel just lousy, the truth is, Jesus covers your fail- failures with his faithfulness. The truth is, employee or boss at work right now and you feel like, Things are not going the way you wish they were. The truth is Jesus covers your, fa- your failures with his faithfulness. Like No matter what you're going through right now, the reality is that salvation doesn't come through your hard work and your effort. 
You never have reason to boast in your resume. You only have reason to boast in Christ's resume. And so we say, for by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is a gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. The truth is, friend, you can be kind and compassionate because God has forgiven you. In a world out there that is very angry and it's, it's, that just cannot wait to tell somebody what they think about them, we here, in the context of community, of Christian community, share in a kind of community where we say yes to Ephesians 4.32, be kind to one another. Like, you may not, listen, I'm saying the church can be and is, okay? And in between that can be and is is Look, I believe God's sovereign, He's good, salvation is His work, right? But sanctification is a partnership between us and the Holy Spirit. And, and there is, there's some human agency here, some, some mutual commitment to where we say to one another, like, we're going to be kind. Through the power of the Holy Spirit, through the work of His Word in my life, we're going to be kind to one another, tenderhearted. Where, where in the world can you go where you can say, man, those people are tender-hearted, forgiving one another? Because God has forgiven you and Jesus Christ. Like, like how, where, where, where do you go to experience that kind of community? You come, you come to church. That's, that's where you go. That's where it is. And if you're like, you know, if you're one of those prophets I talked about last week, and you're like, ah, it's not, it's not good enough yet, do something about it. I was talking to a friend recently in out of state and struggling with a church, and I, s- and I just said, you know what, you can either be, you know, someone who calls out the problem, or you can be someone who participates as a part of the solution. And if you start praying about it, I believe the Holy Spirit will say, you know what, maybe you should start showing up tenderhearted and kind and generous. See, the truth is you can love freely because you have been freely loved. And when the plane lands in, our, in Ephesians 4, it lands in Ephesians 5, 1 and 2, therefore be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. What would it look like to be in a community of people who are like, Jesus laid down his life for, for me. What, what do you need? How, how can I serve you? How can I love you? What is it that you need? I'm, I'm here for you, self-sacrificially. So you have to put off the old. Like, if you want to live like that, you have to put off the old and put on the new. Like, that's, the, the scripture is saying, put off the old, put on the new, because that's the activity we do. We put off the old, we put on the new. And so we put off the old self, which belonged to the former manner of life, the other way that people are living. And so, man, I, let, me just, let me just be frank, okay? If you are, you know, like, if you're just, like, if you are, if, I'm going to call, I'm just going to call the phone, for the, for the sake of, like, I'm going to speak to, like, you know, I'm going sp- to speak to our news junkies just for a second, okay? And, and if you're, like, one of those, like, you know, you're a news junkie right now on your phone, you know, you're on the, you're on the Twitter machine, and you're doing, the, you know, it's, it's it, it, and you're just, you're just, you're just in, you, you just, every time you look, you're enraged. And every time you, you know, you, you just like, uh, man, people are, the world is. 
Man, it doesn't feel like that's fostering a lot of kindness and tenderheartedness and love and self-sacrifice. It just doesn't feel like it's fostering any of those things in you. And so if it's not fostering those things in you, why aren't you putting it off? Why are you, why are you agreeing to live in the pattern of the old self? It's, at some point, you have to recognize that there is a truth that is above you and beyond you that you submit to, and it's a truth that is there for your benefit. And for like God, God has given us guidance for the purpose of human flourishing. And if it is not bringing about human flourishing for you, then why aren't you putting it off? And why aren't you putting on the new self, created in the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness, the pattern, the way of life that God has called you to? See, the old self is trending toward self-centeredness, while the new self is trending toward Jesus and his spirit-led community. That's where the, that's where the new self is trending. And the new self says, hey, look, uh, this, is, this is what God's called us to, is to create a loving community, colonize heaven on earth, to, to be present in the brokenness in our city, to be loving and generous to those in need. And so if, if the old self sort of trending is trending toward self-centeredness, it's like, man, everybody out there is terrible. And so what do you do? Well, I'm going to introduce you to a tool I use all the time, but I'm going to apply it in this text a little bit differently. Maybe you've seen it replied before. I have found this to be extraordinarily helpful. I have counseled people with this. I've used this in counseling relationships for years and years and years. It's just recognize, rebuke, replace. It's so good. Recognize the lie you believe. The truth is in Jesus. Rebuke the lie. Replace the lie with the gospel truth. Like that's what you do. That's the pattern. That's how you break it. And so when the lie enters your mind and you start to get enraged and you start to see that, that, that whatever the device is, the tool is, with life circumstances, it's driving you away from God and it's driving you away from other human beings, you can know that's violating what God would have for you because the God says, my word is about calling you to love God and to love your neighbor. If you want to live the Christian life, you're going to see those things are being enhanced in your life, uh, an affection and worship for God and a love and generosity towards other people. If those things are happening, you can know that you're probably walking closer to the Lord. And so if you're, if you're seeing things that are violating those, either worship of God or love of the neighbor, then you can know that, that you're believing some lie that needs to be addressed. And so let's talk about recognize the lie. It seems as though this pattern is a pattern that shows up in the text over and over and over again. I've noticed that throughout the years, and so I'm just going to keep reading Ephesians 4, and you'll see this is exactly what uh, Paul is doing. He says, therefore, having put away falsehood, recognize the lie. Let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor. Recognize the lie, speak the truth. For we are members of one another. Now, I think if, if Paul were speaking to a social media generation today, he might say this. He might say, put away the false identity you are creating in a two-dimensional world and live within a three-dimensional church community. He might say, you know what you need is you need to stop two-dimensionalizing everybody in your life. And you need some people, some close people that you can three-dimensionalize. So, re recognize the lie, and then rebuke the lie. It seems as though this is the pattern that the text is pulling out. So when you read the next verse, in verse 26, Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. You give no opportunity to the devil. So Paul might say to us today, every time you turn a three-dimensional human into a two-dimensional monster, you're doing Satan's work. 
Like, don't give an opportunity to the devil. Some translations say, don't give the enemy the foothold. Don't let him get into your life and mess with you. So rebuke it. Call it what it is. And you may not have had this thought before, but spiritual warfare is an activity of the mind. The enemy is an accuser. That's what he does. He tempts Adam and Eve with thoughts. That's how it works. And so we have to be engaged in truth in our mind to fight against the enemy. So we have to recognize a lie and rebuke it and go, that's not from God. And sometimes in our home, like we will just, when, when the lie is spoken out loud, we just out loud rebuke it. That is not from God. It doesn't jive with what he says to be true. It's of the enemy. It's not right. And then you replace the lie with the gospel. And probably one of my favorite verses on life change in the Bible is Ephesians 4.28. Let the thief no longer steal, but, let, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Says, look, look, you know, in a time when there was no social safety net, if you came on hard, hard times and thievery is something you did, and thievery might be something that you also sort of maintained as a habit of life in this particular time. And he said the church community should be a place where people work hard, not steal, and are generous. Because that's the social safety net, the generosity of Christians. That's, that's where it is. It's, it's Christian people identifying needs in the world and being generous. This is what I want for you, that kind of life change. In other words, this is the opposite of self-centeredness. It's other-centeredness, looking for the needs of others. So Paul might say to us today, the antidote to self-centeredness of sin is selfless love. So don't be self-centered and steal, but be selfless in generosity. That's what I've called you to do. The, the truth is, and this is you know, hard to say today because of what the, the violence we've been witnessing on, on television and in our own city, but it is statistically true that America has gotten more safe physically and far less safe emotionally in recent decades. Uh, you just do a quick Google search, you'll find lots and lots of data that shows the peak of violent crime was somewhere in the 80s and 90s, and then since then, it's plummeted. It's risen a little bit in recent years, but not anywhere near it was in the 80s and 90s. But also, when you poll Americans and ask if they feel more safe or less safe, they feel less safe today than they did in the 80s and 90s, when in actuality, they're more safe. It's really weird. It's because there's a lot of emotional trauma. Because we've exposed ourselves to a pattern of living that, that preys on our emotional well-being. Physical violence, I, listen, friends, is, is bad, and, I, and, and so is emotional violence. And I want you to hear, this is something that just struck me this week. Physical violence and emotional violence grieve the Holy Spirit of God. And now, I, I, want, I want this to rebuke you if you are in a place where your tongue is quick, your fire is hot, and you can't wait to get your pound of flesh from someone. Listen, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouth, but only such as is good for building up, as it fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God 
by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. You can grieve the Holy Spirit of God by what you say, by what you write, by the use of words. And when you look at homicide rates among teenagers plummeting and suicide rates among teenagers rising, and you see that the kids are more likely to suffer from a death from suicide than homicide in the current time, what you see is that words kill. Words are deadly. Life in death and the power of the tongue, says the Proverbs. And when we misuse our words, the Holy Spirit is grieving. This week I, I prayed over, over a friend who had misused words. I just prayed, Holy Spirit, let them feel your grief. Let them feel your grief, like how you grieve over that, that misuse of words. So we have to recognize like how we use our words. Rebuke the misuse of our words. Replace our words with gospel words. Again, from the text, let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. So when you look at kind of the cycle of despair, I just want you to evaluate just for your own self and let's just let the Holy Spirit do the work for you. Are there any careless thoughts that you are possessing right now that you're just thinking right now? The careless thoughts about God, about people, about the world that you're living in. How are those careless thoughts leading to a hardening of your mind? In other words, what you see in American culture, I'll just tell you, what you see in American culture is careless thinking quickly leads to hardening of mind. You know the mind's hardened because they don't talk anymore. There's no conversation. There's no possibility for mind change. And man, when that, when that hardened mind leads to the hardened heart, then they feel self-justified in their anger and their rage towards other people. And then it's all about what I think and what I think is, is right all the time, and I'm uncorrectable. And you see that self-centered desire at play. That's just not a healthy place to be. It's just not a good pattern. So I, I want to give you three patterns to break it, or three prayers, sorry, to, to break the pattern. This is how we're going to close. Now, I'm going to give you first a prayer of recognition, and I'm just going to pray this over you, but you're free to read along, not out loud, but just read along. And maybe if there's something here, this prayer of recognition that speaks to you, then just sort of, you know, take a time out and t- take a tangent and, you know, have this conversation with God yourself. Here's a prayer of recognition. Lord, I, I, I like having you. But there's this other thing I believe I must have. I'm seeking this other thing to make me feel happy or meaningful. When I can't have it, I despair. I do not believe that you are enough. I think I need this other thing too. In fact, I'm really afraid that if that you will take it away from me. This, this other thing has been the real goal of my life. Lord, I need your help. The grip of this other thing is too powerful for me. Maybe just in terms of putting first things first, you just let this sort of sink in and go, man, is there something there for you? Like something that's in the place that only God belongs? Just read it again and just, you know, maybe the Holy Spirit 
might have something for you. Lord, I like having you, but there's this other thing I believe I must have. I'm seeking this other thing to make me feel happy or meaningful. When I can't have it, I despair. I do not believe that you are enough. I think I need this other thing too. In fact, I'm really afraid that you will take it from me. This other thing has been the real goal of my life. Lord, I need your help. The grip of this other thing is too powerful for, for me. That's a prayer of recognition. I'm going to give you a prayer of rebuke. And so as I read the prayer of rebuke, I want you to be thinking about, is there something there that needs to be rebuked? Has the Lord brought something to your mind? Has the Lord said, you know what? Yeah, it's being a mom. It's my role at work. It's how people see me in a social media platform. It's what, what is it? What's the thing that you said, you know what? This is the thing that really gives me value. God, you're good, but this other thing, all right? So find that. And this is a prayer of rebuke. Lord, I see how repulsive this thing is. Lord, the thing itself is not evil. It is what my heart has done to it, elevating it, that makes it evil. I refuse to be controlled by it any longer. It wreaks havoc in my life. You justify me, not this. You are my master, not this. I will not be controlled by this. This is not my life. I do not have to have it. Jesus is my life. I only have to have him. Maybe you could just find that that thing in your life that is sometimes getting in the way. It's become the idol. It's become the thing you really worship. And pray a prayer like this, a prayer of rebuke over it. And then you get a replacement prayer. This is how you work the gospel into your everyday life. I often say you've got to pray the gospel into your heart until it explodes with meaning. Just pray it into your life. Pray it into your life. You need the gospel as much today as you did the first day you believed. And, and maybe today is the day you believe. You need the gospel every day. Here's the prayer of replacement. Lord, I've been trying to earn my own salvation and weave my own righteousness. But you are my salvation and righteousness. I'm accepted in your Son. All my problems come because I'm forgetting how loved and honored and beautiful and secure and rich and respected, embraced and free in Jesus I am. All of the ways of finding honor, respect, purpose, and so on are vain. Let me be so ravished with your love for me that no other love can control me. Let's pray over this. Father, I pray right now that there's any careless thinking or idol worship that's present in our lives right now. Holy Spirit, give us the courage to call it out. Help us, Holy Spirit, to put off like this pattern of living that's unhelpful, unfruitful, causing harm. Holy Spirit, help us to put on the way of Jesus, the way of tenderheartedness and kindness, love, compassion, generosity. Holy Spirit, strike from us like self-centeredness and selfishness and arrogance. Help us to just confess if we've been angry or spoken out of turn or hurt with our words. Help us to seek and to give forgiveness. 
Lord Jesus, we, we need you. We need you. The truth is in you, Lord Jesus, and you alone. We confess that we can't, we can't do what only you can do. So we ask that you do, you do a work in our life, that you'd change us, you'd, you'd mold us, you'd shape us, that we'd be willing to just be clay today, let your Holy Spirit call it out, help us to have the courage to address it. It's in your name, Lord Jesus, we pray.